I'm going to begin with a scripture. Psalm 116. This isn't the preaching text, but I, I, I want to use it right now. Verse 1, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplications. Because He has inclined His ear unto me, therefore I will call upon Him as long as I live. Verse 12, he says, What shall I render unto the Lord, or what can I give the Lord for all of His benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of all of His people. And then verse 17, he says, I will offer to you, Lord, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of His people. What is the psalmist talking about paying vows? A lot of you will remember when you were seeking the Lord for your salvation, there came a point where you might have said actual words, but your heart certainly felt this way. Lord, if you will just help me, if you'll just save me, I will do anything. Y'all remember that? I actually said the words, I don't know if you actually said it out loud, but there came a point for every person who's ever received the gift of eternal life where they said, whatever it takes. That's called unconditional surrender that I keep talking about. It's the base ingredient of repentance. And that's why this psalm writer says, I'll pay my vows in the presence of your people. So before I even get into the teaching lesson on my heart, I want to thank the congregation for taking part in the service tonight, last night, the other services. I want to encourage you to continue to do so. The best way we can come together and worship the Lord is if we all relax. Don't sit around waiting to see what Ben does or what I do or what some other person does. Relax. And see if God wants you to do something. If He impresses you to do something, it will be orderly and it will be appropriate. You won't be uh, uh, interrupting someone else or causing chaos. But I want to tell you this if you don't know. If you need to pray, you can pray anytime in this service, anytime during this week. You will not bother me. I'll keep preaching if I need to. Or if I need to, I'll stop and pray with you. If God deals with your heart and you need to seek Him, pray. And then you too one day can say, I'll keep the vows that I've promised. Basically, Lord, I will praise you among your people because you deserve it. That's why we all left last night feeling better. It's not because of anything I did. It's because the Holy Spirit came and met with us. It is the Spirit that gives life. And those of us who have eternal life inside of us got an increase in the awareness of that life last night and went home feeling better. That's why. I was singing on the way home too, brother, and I don't sing as well as, as some people. God is so good. What could I ever offer Him? You know what? He doesn't expect much out of us. He just wants us to worship Him and be honest. And, and that starts with just relaxing and listening to His quiet voice. So everybody who's followed Him, thank you. And please continue to do so. 
Before I go any further, is there anything else the Lord is impressing? Not your ideas popping in your mind, but is there anything else the Lord is impressing on anyone? bless you. God bless you. Anyone else need to give the Lord praise? There might be somebody who's been saved and you've never told it publicly. I want to pray as I begin. Kind and gracious Father. Lord, I come to you not in my strength, but in my weakness. So that your strength might be magnified. I come to you with deep awareness that I can get up here and speak and it won't change lives. I can get up here and tell my ideas and it will have no lasting benefit, Lord, but I can get up here and preach the message you've laid on my heart and with the power of your Holy Spirit, you will transform lives. So today, God... I surrender myself to you as a vessel. I ask you to use me for your glory alone. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Open our hearts, open our minds. In the name of Jesus, remove the enemy and all of his distractions from this congregation. Let each person know what part they should have in this service. Anyone who needs to seek you, show them exactly how and when to do that. Help us. Help me as I try to proclaim your truth in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about the new birth experience. But before I get to that... I want to do a little bit of teaching as a background. And so I want you to just bear with me. Uh, don't, don't dig through your Bibles yet. Just listen, okay? There's two aspects of man, of woman, of, of children. I'm talking about this created being that God made when He made Adam that I want to talk about tonight. One is your mind and one is your spirit, I want to talk a little bit about the role of the mind in salvation and following service to God. And I want to talk about the role of the Spirit in salvation and following or, or subsequent service to God as we begin. And the first thing I want to tell you, maybe you've never thought of it like this before, or maybe you have. The mind or the intellect, this organ between your skull, this gray matter, and everything that it produces. 
Your ability to reason, your ability to concentrate, your ability to analyze. The mind is not the means by which you come to know God. The mind is important. The mind was created by God. But the mind is not the means that you come to know God with. I know people that I've had this type of discussion with who are deeply offended when I said something like that. But I want to give you an analogy to help you understand that this is not an unreasonable idea. If I were to say to you, the ears are not the means by which you observe a beautiful sunset, would you be offended? (laughs) Of course not. Because we, in fact, some of you are chuckling because it seems ridiculous. We know that the ears were made particularly to hear. We know that the eyes were made particularly to see. You can't smell things with your eyeballs. You can't see with your nose. And that is abundantly clear to us. And yet, for some reason, to a lot of religious people... If I say the mind is not how you come to know God, that seems to confound them. This organ of sense, this brain wasn't created to know God. In the realm of natural senses, we recognize that God created different senses for different purposes. And just the same, God created different aspects of this composition that we call human for different purposes. Romans 6.17 says, Thanks be to God, though you used to be the slaves of sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Romans 8 says this, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the laws of God, and it cannot be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Another translation of that verse, Romans 8, says, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. The mind wasn't created to know God. This part of you that I call the spirit, this writer, uh, Paul, when he says you've obeyed from the heart, he's talking about the spirit of a man. Another verse says this, what um, knows the spirit except the spirit of the man within him? I want to be very pointed with this. A person can never experience freedom from sin and peace with God until they stop relying on their mind to do something it can't do. The world all around us is always trying to subject God to some type of mental apparatus to prove or disprove His existence before they will accept His truths. And surrender their hearts, their spirits to Him. 
I've heard people say, well, uh, I don't believe in anything spiritual because it can't be proven by the scientific method. And I don't mean this with any criticism, but that just shows how foolish they are. The scientific method, some of you who are teachers know this better than I do, but I'll just try to roughly say what I understand it to be. Um, it must be observable, measurable, and repeatable. How do you observe something that's invisible? And yet every one of you, if you're honest, know that there are things in the world you can't see with your eyes, and yet they're real. How do you observe love? Oh, you can watch a hug, but a hug might be because you're trying to strangle somebody. <laughs> there are things you know that are in the world that you can't see with your eyes, hear with your ears, smell with your nose, touch with your hands, and yet you know they're real. Spiritual things in their very essence aren't observable with the natural mind. So how do we apply that first part of the scientific method? We can't. They can't be measured. How are you going to measure something that's spiritual with natural apparatus? This is from a different dimension. And they can't be repeatable. Every encounter you have with God <laughs> is uniquely special. He saved my soul as a 14-year-old boy on Independence Day 1999. He's never had to do that again. But I've come to know him in deeper and unique and more yeah. uh, meaningful ways since then. That wasn't the best day of my life. I hear some Christians say that. And if you have to go back 20 years to when God saved you to be the best day of your life, you're missing out on abundant life now. Yeah. That was the first day of my life. That was the day I became new. That was the day God made me His child. And since then, I've grown and experienced deeper and greater and better understanding of Him. Not in my mind, but in my spirit. The mind is that part of you that thinks and analyzes and concludes. The mind is the part of you that, that uh, believes and concludes that it might be wise to seek God. It's the part of you that can know about God. And you should seek to know about God with your mind. But the world is full of people who know all about God. and don't actually know Him. We live in this strange celebrity crazed culture where people talk all about what they know about these famous people. And you go to the grocery store lines and you see these magazines and you think you know the person... But you don't. Because if you ran into them in public, you couldn't know all about their latest divorce or their adopted kid or their latest uh, uh, green initiative. You could know all those things, and yet when you go up to them, they're not going to know you because you don't know them. <laughs> That's the difference. So as we begin tonight, I want to ask you, do you actually know God? Or do you just know about God? It's a big difference. The spirit is the other part of you that I want to talk about briefly. It is the part of you, sometimes it's referred to in scripture as the heart, sometimes we talk about it as the soul, but it's that part of you that is different than a brain or, 
or blood or organs or skin. It's something inside you that, that, that is going to continue after you die, after your body dies. And Scripture tells us plainly that part of you, which is you, is either going to go to heaven or to hell. There is life after death or eternal death after death. It's not popular to talk about in our culture, but it's true and Scripture plainly teaches it. The spirit or the heart is that dynamic part of a person that's capable of repentance and surrender and trust. That's what it takes to be saved. The mind doesn't surrender or trust. The mind observes, analyzes, and concludes. It's very useful for its own purpose, but it can't do something it can't do. The only way you can come to know God is take the information that came in here and told you about God and then allow God to work inside of you with His Spirit and when He prompts you, move toward Him. As Brother Ben preached on Sunday, if you go toward God, He will come running to greet you and accept you when you come to Him on His terms. I want to give you one more scriptural proof of what I'm talking about. In Luke 24, verse 32, there were some people walking with Jesus. They didn't know He was Jesus. They were on the road to a place called Emmaus. And later, after they had completed talking with Him, they, they were still saying, man, there, there's something different about that guy. And some of you might have gone home after hearing me preach and say, there's something different about Brother Josh. Preach is a little different than most people I've heard. You might have thought that. Let me tell you what the difference was if you thought that. Let me tell you what the difference with them was. They didn't know in their minds who they were talking to. And yet later after he left them, they were still trying to figure out what it was that was different. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That's the difference. When you hear a man who is truly called by God to preach the gospel and he is following the Lord in his weak way and trying to preach, you can feel inside there's some type of burning, some type of witness that is different than any kind of intellectual teaching you might hear. Now here's the thing. It wasn't that Jesus made the most irrefutable arguments. It wasn't that He compiled the greatest um, theological discussion of His existence. Apparently He didn't do any of that. He opened to them the Scriptures. He opened the Scriptures, not literally, they're walking and they didn't have these nice compact books back then. They had scrolls. He wasn't walking around with a scroll. But he, he, he talked to them about verses they were familiar with and explained that this is what this means. And because they knew the very same God the Father who sent this Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins because they knew Him and Jesus was talking about Him in truth, there was something inside that bore witness to the truth. As a side note, that is why I am so thankful for people who follow the Lord in a service and give word or give testimony to the message that was preached because that is what Jesus was doing. 
The Holy Spirit comes alongside the words that are preached and confirms that they're true. And that's what those men said. Didn't our hearts burn within us? It wasn't that his logic was undeniable. (laughs) It was that there was something deeper, something they couldn't quite place their finger on at the time, but they knew there was something. And later, this is where I want you to really see the divergence between the spirit and the mind. Later on, their minds observed analyzed and concluded what it was that the Spirit had already discerned. If you know God, there will be times in your life that inside of you, you know things that you don't know how to explain. You discern something you can't yet put in words. It may be a warning about a man or a woman you shouldn't be dating or involved with. It may be a warning about a teaching that you've come across. It may be a warning about a preacher who's false. There may just be some uneasiness inside. Or, on the flip side, there may be something good. Like when Ben and I met, he talked about it the other day. There was an immediate... We sat down and talked for, what, an hour? I mean, like we'd known each other and now we're like brothers. That God draws people together. That was deeper than just the stuff we were talking about. something different. The spirit discerns, the mind analyzes and concludes. Both have their place. But only one is really valuable in coming to know God. This is the same way that Adam knew he was naked. You remember the story? Adam and Eve, God created, they're the very first two people, they're the only ones who ever lived in perfection. Other than Jesus, they're the only two living beings who actually know what it was like to be perfect for part of their life. And I can never get past that when somebody purports that they're perfect. I mean, these two actually started out perfect and couldn't stay perfect. How are you going to get perfect when you started out in in sin? I thank God that I don't have to justify myself through my own means. But the Son of God declares me righteous by means of His sacrifice. Because I surrendered and trusted Him and He saved me. Thank God. Adam's, metaphorically, the eyes of his heart were opened when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And suddenly he was afraid. And the Lord, as he often did, came down to talk with him, and Adam was hiding. And he asked him what was going on, and he, he, he didn't know, but he concluded with his mind, he said, I was naked, and so I was afraid. Sometimes your mind analyzes and concludes something that's not exactly right. The truth was, he was separated from God. He discerned that in his intuition, but he didn't yet understand it in his mind. He was never uncomfortable being naked before. No baby's uncomfortable being naked. They're not uncomfortable being naked until you tell them for years (laughs) that they should be. I still don't like wearing clothes. The whole summer I wear a pair of swim trunks if I can get by with it. Adam knew he was afraid. He knew 
that this was in relation to God, that it was something about God, but his mind wasn't yet able to grasp why. And there may be some of you here tonight or the other nights or, or later on this week you may come back and there's something inside that makes you uncomfortable or afraid or not like being here or it might just make you not want to come back. Don't run away from that because your mind just hasn't caught up yet with what your spirit is telling you is real. Amen. Go toward that feeling and solve it. That is God drawing you to Him. My mama, when I was little, she always told me that when, when a child becomes accountable, that means responsible for their sins. And that's what happened with Adam. He became responsible for his sin. God's love feels uncomfortable because you're not in a condition to be in fellowship with Him yet. There's broken fellowship. And when you become into a condition where you can have fellowship with Him, His love feels wonderful. Adam tried to solve a spiritual problem with an intellectual solution. Remember they made these uh, fig leaf clothing. It didn't solve his problem. The world's full of people who are trying to make fig leaf righteousness. Solve a spiritual problem with an intellectual solution. I tried that. I told you about it last night. It doesn't work. Because you can leave here, you can put on a happy face, you can stop your tears, you can refuse to pray, you can go home. And that awareness is still inside letting you know you're not okay. There's another person that this applies to other than a person who's never yet been saved. And that's a person who has been saved and is actively choosing to rebel against what God tells them to do. You'll go home feeling condemned as well. The difference is you don't need to be saved again. You just need to repent and say, God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. So seek the Lord. That's the answer to most, probably all the problems we have. So in summary, and then I'm going to get into this, the scripture passage that I want to teach from, that I feel burdened to teach from. Your mind is very useful. It's very useful. But you can't rely on your mind to obtain peace with God, who is spirit. You have to rely on the spiritual part of you to communicate with the spirit, God. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit. That means you have to feel after Him. You may not always understand it. Sometimes seeking after God is like going through a room as a blind person. And that's okay. Because what kind of God would He be if we understood Him before we ever surrendered? He's above us, beyond us. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Turn with me to John chapter 3. With that in mind, the difference between the spirit of a man and the mind of a man. John 
John 3.16, probably the most quoted scripture in existence. I, let's, if you can quote it, just say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... Sounds like all you have to do is believe. But the mind is what believes. And we know, and you know, and you listen, you can feel inside that what I'm saying, there's something to it. It's not enough to just believe or make a decision in your mind. There has to be something more that he's talking about. So I want us to look at the context of this chapter to help understand the truth that Jesus is teaching. I'm also going to talk to you about some Greek words. Uh, the, the New Testament, I hope you know, was originally written in Greek. There was no English language back then. English as we know it didn't come to exist until about 400 years ago. A thousand years ago is when it started being put together, but you couldn't read it. Not, not a person today without training. Back then, the people who created English didn't even exist. So, the New Testament was written in Greek, and these words help us understand what Jesus was teaching that has been lost in translation. Because most of the religious world, at least in Western Christianity, has been taught all you have to do is believe. And people sincerely believe, and they go through life without any inward burning, without any confirmation of the Spirit, and they never know why they don't feel okay. It's because it's not enough to do something in your mind. Something has to happen in your spirit. Believing is the first step to seeking God. It is not the means of new birth. John, 3, chap, uh, John chapter 3, verse 1 is where I'll start reading. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So first of all, he, he's a ruler, he's important, he's a Pharisee. That means he's a smart religious guy, one of the smartest religious guys of the time. Today, that would be like a doctor of theology at a prominent university. Maybe the president of the Southern Baptist Association, somebody like that. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Why did he go to him by night? <laughs> he didn't want anybody else to see him. Sometimes you have to seek out the truth and you're afraid to let it be seen. <laughs> but if that's the case, still seek it out. You may need to go home tonight in your bed and pray to God. That's okay. It'd be better if you pray here. You may not make it home, but you probably will. Go home and pray. If you need to. Same came to him by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He knew something was different. He observed what he saw. He listened to what he heard. He analyzed it with his mind. He concluded there was something different about Jesus, but he didn't know what it was yet. And he knew that wasn't enough. He was sincere enough to know that what he had figured out in his mind wasn't yet enough. Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
I mean, that seems ridiculous. But imagine what you would think if you didn't have 2,000 years of Judeo-Christian teaching, of church services, of pastors, of Sunday school literature, and somebody told you you need to be born again. You'd think the same thing. How can that happen? And so he says, can I re-enter into my mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's what I've been teaching about. There's a spiritual part of you that must be born spiritually to be alive. There's a mental fleshly part of you that can never be born spiritually because that's not what it was created to do. Jesus tells him that. Don't be amazed or marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now, here's where we see the context of what he's explaining. And I'm just going to modernize the, the reading of this King James English because it's cumbersome. The wind blows where it desires, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I've been trying my whole Christian life to tell people how God saved me, and I still haven't quite figured out how to tell them. I keep using words, but words are incomplete. We don't ever quite understand. And, and you can look outside, lick your finger, put it up, see where the wind's coming from. It changes directions all the time. It may be coming from the west, but next thing it'll be southwest, northwest. That's how the Spirit of God is. He moves. I'll get into that in a minute. Nicodemus answered and said, ninth verse, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Now he honestly says... Rabbi, my mind can't understand what you're teaching me. Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? There are masters of religion all around the world who don't know the things of God. Just recently I was talking with a person who wasn't aware, they were amazed, that a lot of seminary professors are atheists. They're interested just for an intellectual pursuit, not to propagate the true knowledge of God. Nicodemus was sincere, but he still didn't understand it yet. He continues, Jesus continues in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that which we know, and we testify of what we've seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe or don't trust me, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man is ascended up into heaven, but the one who came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now he's going back to what, he, to what Nicodemus will understand. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And here's where we get to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For, I mean, right immediately after, verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The one who believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And listen to this verse. This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world... 
And people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he that practices truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. You know the difference in a saved child of God and a person who hasn't yet been saved by God's grace? They're both sinners. But the first one, who's actually saved and a real child of God, says, they come to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for everything I do and everything I am. Show me my sins. Cleanse me of even my secret faults. Make me blameless in your sight. The other one wants to pretend they're okay all the time. You see, the context of John 3.16 is a lot deeper than just, hey, make a decision for Christ and you'll be okay. Even the context, even if you don't know Greek, even if you don't know anything about it. But I want to dig a little deeper into what the original language actually shows us about this passage. Verse 3, first of all, when Jesus says, unless a man be born from above... Born again is the translation. The word means from above. It's the Greek word anathen. It's the same word that was used to, to talk about the temple veil being torn from top to bottom on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. From above. Is it a new birth? Yes. Is it again? Yes. But it's only one time. <laughs> There's no repetition. You don't get born again and again and again. It's one spiritual birth. From above. If that doesn't happen, you can't see the kingdom of God. I've had a lot of people in my life tell me, well, I don't have that experience you're talking about. If you feel that way tonight, I want to tell you something. You may not have had something that sounds exactly like my story or exactly like Ben's story. But what Scripture plainly teaches is God saves those who have a broken heart and a crushed spirit. There comes a time, like Adam, where you're separated from God, you feel broken or sad or sick over it, whatever word that you may put to the feeling inside. Basically, you recognize you're not okay. And you go to God to see what it takes to make you okay. And you keep going to Him until you're sure you're okay. And if later you're not sure if you're okay, you go back to Him and make sure you're okay. I said it that way on purpose because it's so simple. We overcomplicate it. I didn't say it was easy. It's not easy to surrender. But it's simple. You have to be born from above. Nicodemus doesn't understand. So Jesus explains to him, now this translation makes it a little bit harder to understand, but Nicodemus would have understood what I'm about to explain to you because they weren't speaking English. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man is born, the translation says, of water and of the Spirit. That word and is a preposition. It comes from a Greek word kai. The, the translation kai is how it looks. And that word can mean a, a multitude of prepositions. It could be translated as and, even, also, namely, and a variety of others. And you don't know which word it should have been until you look at the context. I think this more accurately, Jesus would have said, translated, unless a man is born of water, even the Spirit. He was emphasizing the water that I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit of God. Unless you have a spiritual birth... Unless you're born from the water of the Spirit of God. That's why Scripture uses this analogy of being cleansed with holy water. 
It's not talking about a natural baptism. There's some people who have a misunderstanding that your sin is washed away by water. If that were true, all you would need is water. You wouldn't need a Savior. So he says, unless a man is born of water, even or specifically the Spirit of God, he can't see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part is so clear and so beautiful. Now, this wind part, there's something in the Greek language that it can say it's a dynamic language. And it can use the same word to say more than one thing at the same time. In this passage, it's saying two things at the same time without having to use two different words. The word wind is the Greek word pneuma. It's where we get our word pneumatic, air cylinder, anything related to the air. (laughs) It's accurately translated as wind. But pneuma is the same word for spirit, as in the Holy Spirit. So while Jesus is saying the wind blows wherever it desires, at the same time, Nicodemus would have known he was saying, the Spirit of God moves wherever He wills. At the same time, he was saying both. And you hear the sound thereof. This word sound is the Greek word phoné. Sometimes it means noise, sometimes it means voice. At the same time that Jesus is saying the wind moves and you hear its sound, He's saying the Spirit moves and you hear His voice. But you can't tell where He comes from and where He goes. So it is of everyone who's born of the Spirit. You may not know much in your mind about God. Or you might know too much in your mind about God. But if you strip away all of the noise and listen to the movement of the Spirit inside, you will know when He's speaking to you. I want to clarify one more verse. John 3.16 Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. The Greek word here, the believe, is the word pistuo. It's It's an active verb, and it has the connotation of trusting. It's more than just an intellectual belief. It's deeper than that. But how we understand it is even clearer because of the preposition that follows it. The English translation says, whoever believeth in him. There's a word in Greek, it's a preposition that is almost equal to our English word in, I-N. And it's the Greek word that if we transliterate it, it's E-N. They have a word that's almost exactly like our word in. And yet that's not the Greek word that was used here. The word that was used here is a Greek word that's spelled E-I-S, ace, or ice. And it means into. Why did he use the word into when he could have just said in, if that's what he meant? It gives us an understanding of what Jesus was actually saying. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever puts all of their trust and belief into Him might be saved. So much more than just believing. Oh, it's necessary to believe. What does Scripture say? You believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe in fear and trembling. Oh, believing. The demons believe there's God. They haven't surrendered to Him. They're not saved. They're not going to heaven. Soak this up for a minute. Think about what you've been told for a minute. 
If you know God, dig down in your hearts, in your spirit, and see if what I'm saying is true. I'm not telling you something I just came up with in my mind somewhere. This is what God revealed to my spirit to bring to you all tonight. And what the language that this New Testament was written in reveals. And so I want to tell you as I conclude this message, I want to repeat what Jesus told Nicodemus. The Holy Spirit moves wherever He desires. And you don't know where He's coming from or where He's going, but you know His voice. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And I want to tell you, as Jesus told Nicodemus, if you want to have peace, put all of your trust, belief, hope, and every reliance into Jesus Christ. Throw yourself upon Him. Everything, just like the first day I tried to preach about that bag of burdens. Take that bag of burdens and lay it down at His feet and jump on His mercy. That's what it takes to become a new creature. Do you have that? Do you have that peace? If you do, praise God. And I hope the rest of this service will praise God appropriately. If you don't have that peace, you can seek Him. Now, I want to tell you this. You may not know this. You're allowed to pray as long as it takes for you to find out if you're okay with God. I will stay here with you. Ben will stay here with you. Other people will stay here with you. A couple months ago, I went up to Indianapolis and I preached at a church where God saved my soul. And some of those people that were there this few Sundays ago that I preached were there in 1999 when the Lord saved me. And some of those people remembered me praying until I felt okay. Now, I'm not suggesting it will take you this long. You're probably not as stubborn as I was. But I was up there praying for like five hours. That's what it took for me to get all of my own ideas out of the way and surrender to Jesus. And everybody already went and ate lunch and came back. And some people stayed there the whole time imploring God on my behalf, letting me work it out. You know, Scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, I don't believe, and Ben doesn't believe in this idea that you just come pray, tell him, and he'll tell you you're okay. We don't know. We can't see your soul. The only person who knows if you're okay is God, and when he tells you you're okay, then you know you're okay. So whether it's tonight or later in the week or whenever it is, seek the Lord when He's dealing with you. Call on Him while He may be found. When you feel a movement in your spirit, pray to Him until you know you have peace. However long it takes. I love hearing testimonies from people that it only took a second or two. I've heard so many people tell about God saving them and they said, as soon as I got up off my seat, peace. Or as soon as my knee hit the floor. Or as soon as I decided to go to the altar and pray. Peace. The best advice I was ever given, and this is what I want to leave you with. The Holy Spirit will let you know when you're separated from God. The Holy Spirit will let you know when you're saved. Everything else is noise. Ben can't tell you. I can't tell you. 
We could give you some good advice, but eventually here's the advice I would tell you. You don't know if you're okay, pray. (laughs) I'll pray with you. I can't solve that for you. God bless you today. Oh, God bless you. I love you all so much. And I want you to have the peace I have.